chapter 9, and we're going to start tonight with verse 23, and we'll see if we get through chapter 9 tonight. But Romans chapter 9, verse, uh, beginning with verse 23. Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. As always, Lord, we just uh, lift up right now this time that we have together. We just pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our heart our mind, our understanding, to really see those things that you want us to know tonight. Lord, we just anticipate your working here. Lord, we just pray that we would sit at your feet for the next half hour, Lord, and just glean from you those truths that you want us to hear. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've been here the last few times with Romans, we're picking up on the chapter um, titled The Stumbling Stone and rock of offense, which is the very last verse that uh, I just read. <clears throat> and I'm just waiting for technology to kick in here. Or I have to kick it out. Let's see what happens. There we go. All right. Let's just uh, recap again <clears throat> a little bit about what we've been looking at. Remember, Paul is the author of Romans. He has not yet been to Rome, but his heart's desire is to get there. Rome is a crossroads to the whole world. If you get to Rome, you get the news out, it goes all over the place. So he knows that Rome is like the hubcap and everything, all the roads lead in and out of Rome. Now, you've got to understand, Paul was a rabbi. Okay, he was a Jewish priest, 
But what's taken place as a result of Paul's conversion to Christianity is he's considered a traitor to the Jewish people. The nation of Israel looks at him as a traitor. Because now his ministry is to the Gentiles. And remember, the Gentile is a non-Jew. That's all a Gentile is. So unless, if you don't have any Jewish blood in you right here, you're a Gentile. Okay? And to the Jewish people, they were looked down upon. You were called uncircumcised. You were called a dog. In other words, you were just like an outcast. So Paul now is ministering to the Gentiles. Now, the other thing that the Jewish people were upset about is Paul was teaching that there was a freedom from the law of Moses. There was freedom from the law. Remember, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, the Ten Commandments were their babies. This is what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, along with 600 other laws. But they were a religion of law-keeping. Their righteousness was based on the law, as we saw earlier in the book of Romans. And based on that law, no one could come to Christ. The law just showed you that you were a sinner. Didn't make you righteous. Paul had a questionable reputation. They didn't know what they were going to get when they saw this guy or if he came to Rome. They heard a lot of positives and negatives, so the jury was still out on Paul. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, as we talked about last time, talks about Israel, where the first eight chapters were a lot of doctrine, a lot of beliefs that you and I have that were founded right here in the book of Romans that Paul laid out very clearly. Basically, he showed that whether you were a Jew or Gentile, didn't matter. You fell short of God's perfect standards. You're a sinner. There's no hope for you outside of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the stamp of approval that God the Father did was when Jesus rose from the dead, that was God the Father saying, well done. It's finished. You and I can enter into the kingdom if we put our faith and trust in the Lord. Now, in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is going to show his love for the Jewish people. He's going to also show some doctrine. He's going to show that the character of God is at stake. He's going to show that he, God has not forsaken the Jew. Romans chapter 9, which we are in right now, shows the past election. Remember we talked about election. God has chosen you. He has chosen the Jewish person. Through his grace and mercy, you're elected. You're called. If you're here tonight and you receive the Lord, well, you know you're called. If you're here tonight and you haven't made that decision, well, understand God is calling you. You can never say he hasn't called you. I never knew he called me. You can never say that. Because whether you, not, whether you make a decision or not for the Lord, he's still calling you. Chapter 10 talks about Israel's present rejection of Jesus as a Messiah. And Romans chapter 11 talks about Israel's future restoration. A day that will come. And we'll touch a, a little bit on that tonight. There are four attributes of God that we've 
looked at or will look at more tonight in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 13, talked about God's faithfulness. In Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18, talked about his righteousness. In 19 to 29, which we'll see tonight, we're going to see his justice. And then in the last few verses of chapter 9, we're going to see his grace. Last week, Pastor Paul said, I I knew you weren't going to get through Romans chapter 9. And you could probably spend a whole year just on chapter 9. You know, and there was a seminary professor that one of the things that uh, chapter 9 talks about is election, where you've been elected by God, you've been chosen by God before the creation of the world. And they asked that question to uh, Spurgeon about, do you believe that you were elected and chosen before the foundation of the world? And Spurgeon said, absolutely. Because I know by my behavior, I would have never been chosen after I was born. (laughs) And how many of us can say amen to that just based on we know ourselves better than anybody else knows us besides the Lord. Another seminary professor says, try to explain election and you may lose your mind. Explain it away and you will lose your soul. Think about that one, huh? In Israel, God reveals the riches of his mercy. Remember that as we look tonight in chapter 9. Through Israel, God reveals the riches of his mercy. And remember, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's a lot of stuff about Israel. But I want to apply that today to what's going on over in the Middle East. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Israel. Through Israel, God is revealing the riches of his mercy. You're going to see that in our lifetime. You're going to see what the Lord is doing over there. Over 8 million Jewish people I just read the other day. Over 8 million Jewish people in Israel. Since 1948, 10 times the amount of people since 1948 live in Israel today. Remember, one of the prophecies is that in the end times, the uh, Jewish people will go back home. They'll be pulled back to their home. Everybody, that's happening today. It's an exciting time for us to see what God is doing over in Israel and the rest of the world. Okay, now, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 to 8, says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effect and working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now remember, Paul, the verse that we're going to open up tonight with in chapter 9 is verse 23, where it talks about that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, 
which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Paul is an example of one of these vessels of mercy. You and I are an example of one of those vessels of mercy, if you know it or not. You're a vessel of God's mercy. If you're a believer here tonight, the Holy Spirit has a hold of you. He's living in you. He's changing you from the inside out. Paul realized this because he was a persecutor of those who follow Jesus Christ. Then he was humbled by the Lord himself, as many of us have been. And then he decided to live his life for Christ. And isn't it awesome how God would use a man, a genius in the law of Moses, in the five books of the Bible, just a genius, the grasp he had on the first five books of the Old Testament. And he would use him to go out to the Gentiles rather than to his own Jewish race. Think about that. That's pretty interesting. And we saw in the beginning of 9 how Paul would be accursed, be excommunicated, go to hell if it would mean the salvation of his nation. But thanks be to God, no one has to do that because Jesus went to the cross. He descended into the pit to set the captives free. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now in majesty, just waiting for the Father to say, let's roll, let's get down there. Let's make it happen. What a time we live in. What a time to be alive. Paul also, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. This was spoken about Paul, because people were questioning. He was a killer of Christians. He stood by and he watched Stephen killed. We're going to let this guy into our house? We're going to let him talk to us about the scriptures? And here in the scriptures we see, but the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. And it's filtered all the way down to you and I today in 2013. That's how powerful God's word is, that nothing could stamp it out. And I want to reiterate, it's the most hated book in the world by people who aren't believers in Jesus Christ. The book that you're reading right now, they can't stand it. They can't stand it. Last time we looked at this cool picture, and I had talked about that we don't see the potter's hand with the nails in his hands, but this was this represents Jesus Christ and him molding you and me. Okay, as we turn now to the scriptures for tonight, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared before beforehand for glory. And I was just thinking, Lord, what are, who are some of the people in scripture that were dishonorably used? that weren't vessels of mercy, but vessels of wrath. And I just came up with a few in a couple minutes. Lucifer, Cain, Lot's wife, Potiphar's wife, Pharaoh, Noah's world. Remember, it was just Noah and his family that were saved. The rest of the world that they say was millions of people were destroyed. Vessels of, God bless you, vessels of wrath. 
Jezebel, Herod. How about the other thief on the cross that mocked Jesus? There was a vessel of mercy on one side and a vessel of wrath on the other. And Judas. How about those that were honorably used? You think of Adam and Eve. You think of Abel, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Noah, Job, John the Baptist. I don't know if John the Baptist or if he was from a Calvary chapel. I'm not sure. The thief on the cross, the good thief that accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that Jesus promised that day, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. A vessel of mercy. Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. How about that one, huh? How many times have you and I denied Jesus in our lifetime, but yet he's received us back? His, his long-suffering, his agape, his, his love of us. And of course, you. I'm looking at vessels of mercy right now. How cool is that? Vessels of mercy. We just started school today. The kids came in. I see a lot of vessels of wrath that I'm praying for in my classes, especially that 7th and 8th grade. And what's so cool is until we take our last, last breath, there's always a chance that a vessel of wrath can become a vessel of mercy. So pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the person who's a pain in the neck. Pray for that person who rubs you the wrong way. Submission. One of the things that Paul is showing throughout the chapters is that we need to submit to God because he's God. Who are you? Who am I as a created thing to say to our master, why'd you make me like this? We looked at that last week. But yet we do that, don't we? We're not just a piece of clay. We're a piece of clay that thinks and talks and has a free will. And God knows that. And there's nothing wrong with talking to God about the good things and the bad things that are going on in your life. But here's a great picture of a young lady just submitting herself before the Lord. Just being a vessel of mercy that God, the potter, the master potter, can just shape. Remember, we looked at last week. He shapes you and me. How? Not just through the good times, but for the difficult times. Through the desert times is when God is shaping you to make you the person, the vessel of mercy he wants to do. So you might be going through something right now. The unknown. Health issues. Uncertainty. Understand that God knows just what's going on in your life and He cares for you intimately. He loves you. He knows that's the very thing that you need to get to the place He needs you to be. And we just need to be submissive. Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust in You. Like Job said, though you slay me, I trust in You. Have you got to that point in your walk with the Lord? Verse 24. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Wow, this is, this is a revolutionary thing here that Paul is throwing out there. Understand. Remember, the, the Jews were the one that the law was given. The feasts were given. 
Everything was applied to the Jewish nation. Now all of a sudden, here's Paul saying that even us, whom he called, the Jewish people, but not, not just us, not the, just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the ones who don't have the law, law given to them, the ones who don't celebrate the feast, that don't have that rich tradition. You've got to remember, at this time, there were nations that had been in existence that were destroyed. They were no more. But the nation of Israel had a past. They had a present. They also have a future. We see that now. If you were born 1948 or after, 1948 is when Israel was made a nation again. They weren't a nation for such a long time, yet they've come back. They have a future. They have a hope. And we see that in the scriptures. Paul, to his letter to the Galatians, talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And I thought this was a great picture. That here, the Jewish people, the Gentile people, when you go through the cross of Jesus Christ, you're one. You have one Savior, one Lord, one King of Kings. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. No different. The Old Testament are, is the New Testament hidden. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's all one book. It all reads as one. It's phenomenal. And Paul is using this to reach out to the Jews and the Gentiles. And praise God, we see that today. We have Messianic Jews right here in this fellowship. People that follow the law that God called and chose, and they heeded that call. We have people over in Israel right now, Messianic Jews that are reaching out to the law-abiding Jews to show them that there's a real God that we follow, not the law put there to lead you to the real God. Verse 25. What we're going to look at now are a couple prophecies that are in the Scriptures. And understand what Paul is doing here is so great. He's going back into the Old Testament to show prophecies that talked about Jews and Gentiles being ministered to by the Lord. It's not a new concept. It was there back in the Old Testament. It's not just for Gentiles. The Jews were told, hey, I love you, but I'm also going to reach out to those who are non-Jews. I'm going to break the chain of the way people think. I'm going to set people free to worship me, whether they're Gentiles or they're Jews. Verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Now that's in Hosea. And if you want to do some uh, research on your own, you can look in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. 
You can go to Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Okay, where it talks about those scriptures that I just read. And now he goes to another book. Doesn't just take it out of the book of Hosea. He now goes to the book of Isaiah. And he says in verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. In these two verses, verses 27 and 28, notice what um, is being said by the prophet Isaiah. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. Remember, God told Abraham that you can count the stars as more than the stars in heaven, more than the sand on the seashore will be the number of descendants that you have. It was a promise made to Abraham. There's over 8 million Jewish people in Israel today. There's millions still scattered throughout the world. They're not extinct. We're seeing Isaiah and the prophecy here that there are a lot of Israelites still in the year 2013. But notice at the end of verse 27 what it says. The remnant will be saved. That's a portion. It's only a portion. God, through His mercy and grace, sent Jesus into the world to show his love for the world. That whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is for the Jew and the Gentile. That's out there for the whole world. We looked at Pharaoh last time. That was for Pharaoh. Pharaoh could have embraced, he could have embraced and trusted in the God of Moses. But notice here, this is so important for us and should help us with our prayer for people that as far as Israel, there's going to be a remnant that will be saved. I think of the verse in Scripture that talks about the road to heaven is narrow. There's few that are on it. The road to hell is wide and many are traveling it. Not everybody's going to be saved. Only those who are called, who are chosen. And you can't say that's not fair because understand that the mercy of God is something that he does not have to give. God does not have to show mercy on this world at all. But he has shown his mercy and his love by sending his son Jesus down a couple thousand years ago to make a historical imprint on this planet. And what we do with that historical imprint will show us if we're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ or in a place that was created for the devil and his angels called hell. In verse 28 it says, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. A lot of teachers believe this talks about the tribulation. That it's going to come quickly. And when it does happen, it's only going to last seven years before God sets up his millennial kingdom of a thousand years. 
But notice the Lord will make it a short work. Right now, it's long-suffering. He's shown His patience. If you're sitting here today, if the Lord came a year ago, would you have been saved? Two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. If He came 30 years ago, how many of you here would have been saved? Right? You think about that. So, yes, Lord, come quickly, but at the same time, Lord... Save my family members, save my co-workers, save my students in my class, even those seventh graders, save those little buggers. <laughs> Verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, and that word is also host, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. God saves people. He doesn't extinguish the earth. Even with Noah. Noah and his family were the remnant. Maybe you're that remnant in your family that was called and you're saved and still there's members in your family that aren't. He chose you. That's important because your mate your child, your, your relatives, know there's something about you and maybe they know the gospel because of you. Remember, it's not over till it's over. So we have this with, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, and thank you, Jesus, for being the seed that started the whole redemptive process. Right in the book of Genesis, we saw that the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. The seed of promise. Remember Abraham and Isaac. That was the seed of promise. Not the seed of the flesh. Remember we looked at that with um, Hagar and Ishmael. That was the seed of the flesh. That was a fleshly work. It was the seed of the promise that was the key. You and I are people of faith. You and I are people of the seed of the promise. We chose the seed that led to the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, a place that still exists today, that are controlled mainly by Muslims right now. Pray for those Muslims. There's Muslims that are coming to Christ as a result of God's work right now in this world. Verse 30, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Now notice the question is, what shall we say then? The answer to that is yes. The answer to what I just read is yes. The Jews don't attain to righteousness by going through the law. The Gentiles attain righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what that verse is saying. And then it goes on, Paul goes on in verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. See, it's a matter of faith. Not how much faith you have or I have, but it's the object of our faith. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, and this is what Paul is trying to get across to his beloved Jewish people. 
because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. In Psalm 118, verse 22, up on the screen it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That talks about our rock. That talks about our God, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Now check this out with just some things about a cornerstone, just in building. A cornerstone is a large and crucial part of a structure. It determines the size, the shape, and the dimensions of the structure it supports. It's the most expensive and valuable stone in the whole structure. It's made specifically for the purposes I just read. It bears the greatest burden. That, that chief cornerstone bears the greatest burden of the whole structure. There are other cornerstones on the other three corners, but the chief cornerstone bears all that weight. Jesus is our cornerstone. We measure our spiritual growth through Him. He is our standard. We want to be like Jesus. We know we can't attain to it by effort, but it's by the working of His Holy Spirit in us. Who better knows God than the precious Holy Spirit who is in you, conforming you to His image? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ went to that cross and proved by rising from the dead that he was more than just a man. He was the God-man. He was the God-man. Through the cross, Jew or Gentile can be made one. The only difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone is the way we use them. The only difference between a stumbling blocks and stepping stones is the way in which we use them. How are you doing with Jesus? How are you doing hanging out with Him? How are you doing getting to know Him? I opened up chapter 9 with asking the question or making the statement that I think we'll see within this chapter that even though we're believers in Jesus, we still stumble. We still fall. God is still working on us. We're still a work under construction. So God is still stretching us. He's still showing us those things. And I want to encourage you tonight, like myself, when we fall, Understand that God is just, he's right there just like he was with Peter, just to pick you up again, dust you off, pat you on the back, and start walking with you again. Never forget that. Because the enemy wants to knock you down and kick you while you're down and tell you to stay down and never get up. But our God is the victor. He's the champion. We win 
All those opposite Jesus lose. Guaranteed. You have God's word on it. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23, it says that the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Never take for granted your faith. Don't ever take it for granted. But keep exercising your faith. Keep walking with Jesus Christ. He's given you His Holy Spirit to conform you into His image. Pray for Israel. Pray for the Jewish people. Remember, you've heard it from, I think, all the pastors. There's going to be a movement in the churches one day, and it's already there in a lot of churches that call themselves born-again churches, that says God is finished with the nation of Israel. He's finished with the Jewish, uh, Jewish race. That is a lie of the enemy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I want to finish with this thought. If Jesus forgets about the Jewish people, he can forget about you and me. All those promises that God has given the Jewish people proves he's a faithful God. He's not going to forget about the Jewish people and he's not going to forget about you and me. He's the God of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this chapter 9 of Romans that just shows your faithfulness, shows your character, Lord, how you are a God of